it's Saturday, February the 20th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden backs transatlantic alliance and Uber drivers declared workers. First, the week in brief. At the annual Munich Security Conference held online, President Joe Biden sought to distance himself from Donald Trump's America First rhetoric, instead declaring that the transatlantic alliance is back and stressing the need for global partnerships. But Mr Biden also warned the West that it must compete with China in artificial intelligence, biotechnology and cyberspace and push back against Russian hacking threats. Members of the G7 countries offered increased support for COVAX, an international initiative to provide equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines. Britain promised to donate surplus shots to developing countries. France urged Europe and America to allocate up to 5% of supplies. Separately, Russia offered 300 million doses of its Sputnik V vaccine to the African Union. In further good news, Pfizer said new data showed that its vaccine does not need to be stored in super-cold conditions. That should make it easier to distribute, especially to poorer countries. Members of America's House of Representatives introduced a bipartisan resolution condemning China and the Hong Kong government for violating rights and freedoms in the territory. The motion puts further pressure on the Biden administration to take China to task over human rights. The previous day, lawmakers had reintroduced a different bill, threatening Chinese officials with further sanctions over persecution of the Uyghurs. Britain's Supreme Court ruled that a group of Uber drivers are entitled to workers' rights, such as the national minimum wage. The American ride-hailing company currently treats its drivers as self-employed. The ruling could upend its business model in one of its most profitable markets. Google fired the founder of its Artificial Intelligence Ethics Unit. The tech firm said that Margaret Mitchell had broken its code of conduct by removing sensitive files. In December, another senior executive in the division departed. Tim McGabrew says she was fired. Google claims she resigned. Both women had criticised the firm for a lack of diversity and its censorious culture. Eni became the latest oil major to vow that it will become carbon neutral. Claudio Descalzi, the chief executive of the Italian firm, promised the full decarbonisation of all our products and processes by 2050. Earlier this week, Mario Draghi, Italy's new prime minister, put fighting climate change at the top of his agenda, with more planned investment in renewable energy generation and green hydrogen. And Renault reported a record net loss of 8 billion euros, 9.7 billion US dollars, in 2020, 
mainly because of a pandemic-induced fall in demand for cars in Europe. Luca de Mayo, the French carmaker's chief executive, claimed that business had improved later in the year, but warned of difficult times ahead. Renault will make an estimated 100,000 fewer cars than planned this year because of an industry-wide shortage of microchips. And now, here's today's agenda. Snifferbot. Machines that can smell. Dogs' sense of smell is a superpower. There are countless documented cases of canines sniffing out human lung, skin and breast cancer long before medical screening did. But pooches trained to sort the sick from the healthy are in high demand and short supply. A new paper in PLOS One, a journal, describes a disease-smelling device that can rival dogs' marvellous muzzles. It carefully analyzes the precise chemical makeup of an air sample with 200 times more sensitivity than a dog. However, it lacks canine's intuitive ability to recognize a unified scent as being, say, the whiff of cancer. Nevertheless, coupling the device to machine learning software yielded results to match dogs' disease detection. In tests, both identified prostate cancer patients from urine samples, with a success rate of more than 70%. If the system can be integrated with smartphones, soon people may first learn that they have cancer from a notification on their smell-enabled phones. On the Boundary Indian Farmers' Protests for months, Indian farmers have been protesting against reforms to deregulate their industry and weaken the role of state-controlled markets, which they fear will drive down prices. Now celebrities have waded into the fray. Rihanna, a superstar singer, took to Twitter to bring attention to the farmers' plight. This displeased India's cricketing establishment. Sachin Tendulkar, widely considered the country's best-ever player, took a pop at the pop star. External forces can be spectators, but not participants, he tweeted. His colleagues expressed similar sentiments in a series of posts. Not all were on side, though. A player for Bengal, Manoj Tiwari, suggested that other cricketers were puppets pulled by the government's strings. The national team captain, Virat Kohli, who is leading the side in a test series against England, said the reforms had been the subject of a team discussion. But any dissension in the ranks appears to have been muted. Keeping the Faith – The Black Church Understanding the history of black Americans and America itself requires understanding the importance of African-American religion. So argues Henry Louis Gates, the director of African-American research at Harvard University, in The Black Church, a documentary series and book released earlier this week. Religion afforded black slaves a glimpse of salvation and more practically 
allowed them to gather and trade information. Since then, the church has served as a hub for politics and activism, including today, with the recent election of Reverend Raphael Warnock as Georgia's first black senator. White supremacists, recognising the crucial role of faith in African-American communities, have long targeted churches. They include Dylan Roof, who murdered nine people in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. Conflict also occurs internally. Different congregations have taken contrasting approaches to black identity. Mr Gates notes that although there is no single black religion, the range of faiths and institutions all form a pillar of the African-American community. Exit music. Korean LP bars. Tired of his job in advertising, Kim Jae-gun gathered up his record collection and moved it to a bar near Seoul's government district. Now he spends his evenings taking song requests from tired officials and local hipsters. His is one of dozens of LP bars in South Korea's capital, many of them run by men with similar stories. South Korean companies offer few opportunities for middle-aged workers who have not climbed the ranks. Meanwhile, bar proprietors are benefiting from an analogue craze among South Korea's digital natives. Last year, national sales of vinyl records rose by 75%. Women in their 20s and men in their 30s were the biggest buyers. During the best LP bar nights, revelers arrive for just one drink and stumble home drunk and happy in the early hours. Curfews to fight the COVID-19 pandemic have recently rendered the atmosphere more melancholy. But as the pandemic levels off, it may grow raucous once more. A life's work. Christo's art auctioned. The vast art collection of Christo Vladimirov Javachev, an artist best known by his first name, who died last year aged 84, went up for sale this week. The Bulgarian conceptual artist was famous for large site-specific works, including the London Mustaba, a trapezium of coloured barrels in Hyde Park, the Gates, a series of 7,503 orange flags in Central Park in New York, and Wrapped Reichstag, a project in which Germany's parliament building was covered in 100,000 square metres of silver fabric in 1995. The collection, which includes work by Christo and his wife Jean-Claude, among other artists, was auctioned in two parts this week at Sotheby's in Paris. On Wednesday, the 28 most valuable items from Christo's collection bagged a total of 9.8 million US dollars. They included paintings by Lucio Fontana, Concetto Spaziale Atesa, and Andy Warhol, Jackie. The rest of the collection, 345 pieces, was flogged on Thursday 
for 1.4 million US dollars. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Frederick Douglass, who died on this day in 1895. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.